Welcome to the Life 21 Church Podcast. Thanks for joining with us today as we explore the Gospel of Matthew. We pray that as you listen, you would come to more fully understand the answer to this age-old question, who is this Jesus? Greetings to everyone. Welcome into our last section in this podcast series. This is Jesus's grand finale. We are up to the last three chapters of Matthew and the last 13 podcast episodes. Like any good story, any good movie, the storyline, the plot thickens, the tensions build. There's an incredible climax and God, the gospel of Matthew and Jesus's story is the best of all stories. The context for this is Jesus had just been teaching both the crowds and his disciples many things. He'd been clarifying and exposing the sins of the religious leaders. He had been revealing much about his return and the culmination of this age before the final judgment and that wedding banquet when everything is restored and Jesus comes again. Now in Matthew 26, verses 1 through 13, we're going to be hearing about Jesus as the Passover lamb, as Jesus points us to the climax of this coming, the first coming. Before we jump into the text, I want to highlight something that's kind of a larger overview of Scripture. Jesus had just spent multiple chapters talking about his second coming. Now we're going to turn and see Jesus highlighting the the climax of his first coming, and it's going to coincide with Passover. Just a little heads up, the Jewish law and the calendar that God gave to the Jewish people is so prophetic in nature. Jesus' first coming, he is the fulfillment of the Passover feast. He is the Passover lamb that's killed, that dies, so that we could be saved from the angel of death and so that we could exit of sin, we could exit of oppression, and we could enter in to the promised land. We know that his second coming will be the fall feast where the Passover was a spring festival and the Feast of Unleavened Bread pointing to his first coming. God wanted it to be clear to all of Israel that were willing to hear that there were spring festivals and fall festivals. The Messiah's work would come in two rounds. First, the suffering servant, and then second, the coming king who would dwell with us forever. Let's join in. Though as Gentiles we're unfamiliar with many dimensions of the Passover, let's join in to this time with Jesus and his disciples as they walk out the greatest Passover week that the world had ever experienced and that Israel had ever seen. Verse 1, Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and to kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So interesting how Jesus is highlighting the Passover is two days away. 
Several hundreds of years earlier when Passover was instituted through Moses by the power of God, the people were to select a blemish-free young lamb that they were to kill and that they were to eat the entirety of the lamb and sprinkle the blood on the doorpost so that death would have no effect over their family, specifically their firstborn. And here is God's firstborn son. How prophetic Jesus is saying, guys, let's get ready to celebrate the Passover. And then he says, this firstborn, this son of man is going to be handed over to be crucified. What I also love is that it's at the point that Jesus is declaring these things that the religious leaders are assembling. Jesus is assembling with his disciples to declare his purposes And God in his infinite sovereignty is even using Satan and Satan's work to assemble the enemy, to assemble the chief priest, to assemble the elders, so that through their very own hands, Jesus, the Passover lamb, could be sacrificed and his blood could be sprinkled upon all of those of us willing to say yes to his sacrifice. It's interesting what they say, though, but not during the feast or there may be a riot among the people. These religious leaders were shrewd in certain ways, foolish in others, but they were looking for a sly way to arrest Jesus. They were always looking to be cunning, always navigating the onlooking and the oversight of the Roman Empire not wanting a riot to stir up among their people because that could mean major issues for them as well. But also, of course, they wanted the affections and the attentions of the people. Jesus had confronted this earlier, but the people had become their God and they lived for the praises of the people. As we continue on in the next podcast episodes, we'll see the timing of Jesus' arrest, Judas' betrayal, and all that plays out happens to coincide perfectly so that Jesus' death is the exact fulfillment of the Passover sacrifice. Despite what the religious leaders had been planning, God's plan, working even through their evil scheming, was perfect. I want to just encourage us today that those of us that are believers, we need to rest in the sovereignty of God. If God can perfectly use evil scheming and evil planning to bring about his beautiful will, how much more can God's mercy and sovereign grace touch our lives? And can we trust and rely on him that he can work through our failings and our struggles, our lack of wisdom, to bring about such beauty. In Romans 8, Paul is looking back at the cross and at these moments and reflecting on God's sovereignty. He says, I know and I've become convinced God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. People of God, children of God, may we be encouraged to rest in the sovereignty of God that was ultimately revealed at the crucifixion and during this season of human history through Jesus. Verse 6 through 13, we see another picture of God's sovereign story playing out. Verse 6 says this, While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, 
A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. In other Gospels, we see different moments, this one specifically named. And it's interesting that Simon the leper is an embodiment of someone who had been unclean physically. I'm assuming at this point he had been cleansed. As many were seated around him, Jesus himself was with him. But those that were lepers had experienced being the outcast of society. They were viewed as ones on whom God's judgment had fallen. They were excommunicated because that they were under judgment, in a sense, spiritually. And two, physically and practically, they were contagious and unclean. They were separated from community. Here, Jesus is reclining at the home of Simon the leper, cleansed and now reinstituted and restored to community. We see here this woman, in other Gospels it talks about it being Mary or an unclean woman, a prostitute. There's different moments and different lenses through which this story and the parallel stories are seen. But what's beautiful about this is that Jesus is receiving those that were previously outcasts as he prepares himself to be casted out of the city to experience being the outcast of outcasts, being even rejected and thrown out by God, in a sense, through judgment down to hell. Here he is with a man who knew what it was like to be on the outside, with a woman as well who knew what it was like to be an outcast and to be devalued. There he was fellowshipping with those that had walked at least part of the road that he was about to walk. Verse 7 says that a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. This is an incredibly extravagant act, and we'll see the weightiness of it as expressed by the response of the disciples here. Verse 8, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. This is not just a little response of, oh, I don't know if you should have done that. Maybe not a good idea. They were indignant. This was to them an audacious act, an unwise act, a demonstration of foolishness. Not only was she interrupting a formal meal, not only was she inserting herself as a female into a space that was inappropriately intimate in a way, she also was wasting so much on the Son of God. Why this waste, they asked. Verse 9, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus, our Passover lamb, 
being prepared by a lowly woman who gave up all that she had, the richest, most expensive thing she spent on the sun. It's so interesting. I've heard different people share about sheep and lambs. And one of the things that I've heard about lambs or sheep is that there is an anointing or an oil that's placed on the lamb, specifically over their head, that keeps back certain insects from infesting their wool, specifically insects that have a tendency to go into the ear canal, the nose canal, and to plant eggs into those inner parts of the head, which brings incredible pain to the animal and ultimately death. We see this in Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Something that's so beautiful is that Jesus did not sin. Up to this moment, he was the pure and spotless lamb. The Passover lamb that they needed to kill had to be blemish-free. This lamb that was going to protect them from death had to be blemish-free as a prophetic symbol that in order for death to be abated and kept back, there had to be a sinless sacrifice. Death enters because of sin or defect or blemishes in our behavior and attitudes. Jesus, this sinless one, was ready to be slain. At the same time, however, Jesus was about to undergo testings that he himself had never experienced before. The level of physical pain, emotional abandonment, spiritual separation, incredible mocking, all of these things were going to culminate in a way on his spirit, soul, and body that he had never experienced before. And though he and the Father were resolute in him choosing to not sin, I believe this ministry of the woman was so important. Just like the sheep were anointed with oil to protect them from the flies, so when Beelzebub, Satan, the Lord of the flies, would come and pursue Jesus with the greatest of buzzing, the greatest attempts to implant the eggs of deception and bitterness into Jesus' heart as he's being betrayed and crucified, it's at that moment that even his head and his hair would smell of the riches of at least one faithfully walking out the journey with him, at least one saying, Jesus, I honor you. Jesus, what you're about to do, I validate. I'm with you. I love you. I give you my all. I'm sure Jesus on the cross, when the smell of this perfume came, there was a delight knowing and remembering this woman and her sacrifice. Her investment became part of his strength and part of his story. Thanks for joining with us today. May God continue to reveal to you by his spirit who indeed is this Jesus.